to the Snow West Show. I'm Ryan Harris, host of the Snow West Show. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, check out snowwest.com, and we've got a bunch of merch on there, and you can also subscribe to the magazine. We're hitting our 50th year of print with Snow West Magazine. And Congratulations. That, that was like the big goal. It was like, let's hit 50. We did a big big party at 40, and then that was like the was kind of the tail end of that generation that kind of developed the mountain segment, and then all a lot of those guys have kind of retired since. But I, I feel like I heard something about a 50-year party at Tony's in a previous podcast. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. Tony, Tony's <laughs> that's driveway. A, that's a thing, we'll Tony's be, driveway. Yep, yeah. We'll be posting the address to Tony's house cool. here in a while. So yeah. everybody show up, tell everybody about it. Tony's got plenty of room. Plenty of space. Might yep. have to park on the street, but yeah. His neighbors won't mind. We'll be hanging out in his shop and everything. Uh, I want to thank our sponsor. we got a new sponsor for the Snow West Show, Polaris Snowmobiles. Uh, Polaris Pro and Chaos RMKs. Engineered for instant lift, effortless control and immediate response. Uh, check out all the new 850 RMKs. Uh, should be in stock at your dealership now. Uh, we've kind of switched gears here over the last couple of years. We now have sleds in stock ready to be picked up before it snowed, which is a, a different experience than what it's been the last yeah. three three years yeah. or so. Um, check them out at Polaris.com, but uh, go see your local dealer. All right, uh, we have some uh, we have some great guests today. We have Lisa Grandin, uh, Stanley, Idaho. Yep. Uh, Logger, full-time logger. Yep. Uh, we were talking about all the heavy equipment that you're running. Uh, Skidoo ambassador, and you're starting riding clinics here pretty soon. Yeah, I'm starting a tour for Uncharted Society for women's clinics this season. Yeah, that's cool. That yeah, Uncharted cool. Society, like that's that's really turning into like bigger than what I thought. Like when they when they threw that out there, yeah. and it it kind of encompasses Can Am and Skidoo and watercraft See, stuff. You. Yeah, it's a cool experience because people can come try a brand new machine without a lot of money investment. Yeah. You know, they don't need to have gear. They don't need to have sleds. There's a guide there. You can be taken care of all day, go out, try a brand new machine and decide what they want to get into, if they want to spend the money to get into the sport or not. Yeah. And we've, we've gone a lot of years without any kind of a demo program. And it's one of those sports where you've got to be able to experience the equipment. Yeah. And, and it'll kind of sure. get hooked on it. Yeah. And then Mason Rutledge, uh, Skidoo athlete, Skidoo ambassador. Rimshaw athlete, uh, yeah. you raced uh, the enduro cross. Uh, that all falls around. Are, are you yeah. are you considering like a switch? You gonna go full time? No, auto? I'm a hobby dirt bike rider, and <laughs> when it comes to enduro cross. No, but you, you took home a couple wins. I mean, that was a good weekend for you. Yeah, I won the local class, but uh, beyond that, that's that's over my pay grade there. But it's a lot of fun though. So what do you, what do you? Is it is it at, is it what you thought? Because you've done some hard enduros. Like you, yeah. you've gone out with Keith. Like what, what races have you been doing? So I've I've done a lot of the U.S. Uh, AMA hard enduro. I've uh, been to Arizona, Tennessee knockout, um, through Idaho, California. But enduro cross, like, it's a different animal. It's shorter races. Our hard enduro, we go out for you know six seven hours, and it's more like a, a mental game out there, just trying to be sh- strong willed, minded, you know. Enduro cross, it's high intensity for just four or five minutes of racing. It, it's hard to remember to breathe, and then it's it's just these massive obstacles, and you're trying to hit them fast. And usually, dirt bikes aren't created to hit a three-foot log at, with speed, right? Um, so it's impressive to watch the top guys do it. It's more fun to watch the the novice kind of beginner classes because oh, there's a lot of fun yeah a lot of carnage like it's it's pretty exciting the women's class at that race that was wild yeah that, that was some competitive the one night on falls the end of it like four or five of them all on one tire obstacle yeah. like 20 feet from the finish line trying to hurry yeah, and get first across. And second whoever gets out of the tire yeah on that one. it was pretty cool 
Yeah, that was wild. And, I, and I've ridden dirt bikes with you. Like, you're a phenomenal rider. Like, I would put you, like, in the, the pro level of competition than to show up at Endurocross and watch you in your class and then watch, you know, Cody Webb and those guys in the pro class. They, they make it look so flippin' easy. Yeah, it's a different level. Like, I mean... I guess there's pros in their respective sports, you know, but that's, I think there's a bigger learning curve there. I think like normal trail rider guys could go to a hard enduro and, and get through the obstacles. It's going to take a lot of work and a lot of energy, but just the intensity of enduro crosses, it's, it's hard to, to mimic that, you know, unless, unless you're ready to spend a lot of time, you know, and, and maybe we might have to do a little more training next year and see if we can do a little better in it. So, yeah. And then we got Bruce Curbs down at the end, co-hosting with us. Bruce is one of the, the Snow West test riders. He's been helping us out at Snowshoe, riding all the new models. Uh, you came out and rode the Catalyst when we got the, the early sneak peek ride on that. Yes. Um, I'm excited. What, move that up a little closer to your face, too. Yeah, I'm excited. It's about time Cat did something. Well, I mean, that, yeah, it is about time Cat did something. It's only been 12 years, so it's cool. <laughs> Yeah. So we're gonna. Well, by the time the 858 comes out, you're gonna be 13 years on the same 800 platform, right? Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. Well, you're. But you're excited. You're, you're kind of the resident cat guy. Yeah. And we, we give you a lot of. There's crap always gotta be somebody different in the crowd. That's yeah. me. You know. Uh, yeah. So. Yeah. For a lot of reasons. Yeah. For a lot of reasons. <laughs> we don't go into them though. <laughs> uh, um, Lisa, I wanted. So we were talking to you yesterday in the booth a little bit, and you. I didn't know this about you. You taught yourself how to backcountry ride. Yeah, that's kind of how I started. Um, so my first sled was a 2007 600 SDI and a 144 with like a two-inch paddle, and we were riding, you know, pretty steep terrain. And the guys didn't really know how to teach me how to ride, so it was like, okay, here's the meadow. We'll be back in a few hours, and I'd just sit there and get stuck all day and get frustrated, get cold, didn't know what I was doing. They left you by yourself. Yeah, nice. <laughs> quite a bit. <laughs> And th Good and friends. This, you're in Stanley, Idaho. Yeah. And Stanley's known for being, like, super warm in the winter, like, T-shirt weather. Yeah, you know, it's like 50 degrees out. Yeah. Negative 50 sometimes. Big but. city, <laughs> not very remote there. <laughs> no, it's 63 people right now is the population. So, yeah, but, it, you know, it was frustrating. It's like, well, I can't go where the guys are going. I can't keep up. This is, you know, I want to be able to do this. And I ended up on the Snow West forums a lot because I, I wanted to know how to build my sled also. I didn't want to have, like, issues with it and not be able to fix it. So I bought a shop manual and tore the sled apart just for the fun of it, put it back together so I know how it worked. And that kind of got me onto the Snow West forums too to figure out tech issues. And I saw somebody post about counter steering. And it was like a concept I've never heard of. I was like, oh, you steer to pull the sled over instead of just throwing your body to the side. And so I went out the next day and I tried it. And I just spent all day doing like donuts in a meadow and like carving around. And it was just a completely different concept and it just opened up my whole world to like, oh, there's actually techniques to learn how to ride the sled. I'm not just going to be out here beating myself up all day trying to figure this out. So, so, so what was the progression like? Like, how long did it take you to go out and? and that learn was actually all this stuff? a couple years in, or a year or two in, probably. I finally figured that out, and then I would like, I was like a training regimen. I'd like figure out, okay, I need to learn this skill, and go out and practice for like a week straight. And it's like, okay, I got that down. I'm going to go back on Snow West, find a new skill I need to learn, and then go out and practice that for a week. And I'd still be in the meadow by myself most of the time. But it just got to where it like kind of hooked me. It's like, oh, I can actually like, I can actually get this. I can actually get to the point where I can follow the guys. I can actually ride the same stuff. And it, you know, it took a long time. I mean, a rev isn't the easiest sled to ride now that we back look back at it. But yeah, it, uh, I was pretty stubborn. 
So, so who who did you ride with over those years? Like, like what was the group like out there in Stanley? Um, it's actually pretty, because the train is pretty intense, so the people that ride there are pretty technical riders for the most part. At the time, most of them had home-built turbos. They had, you know, pretty powerful sleds. Most of them were pretty decent riders. So we were in pretty big terrain, but they, you know, they'd get me up to an area where they're like, you know, not too far away, and then they'd take off and ride for a couple hours, come back and check on me. So I was usually at like a high alpine lake, just hanging out for the day. So, yeah, it's usually not easy to get there. You know, it's still a little bit of technical riding to get to the upper areas there. Yeah. But. but you've you progressed pretty rapidly. I mean, to the point now where obviously Skidoo is going to send you out, and you're going to be teaching, like going out and mm -hmm. doing a lot of training and, and instructional yeah. clinics and all that. Um, and we never had that. Like back, like when you started riding, there weren't a lot of instructional yeah. clinics out there. People were relying on their on their friends or their significant others or whatever. And that's probably the worst way to learn because it was difficult. Yeah, I wrecked a lot of sleds. I totaled a lot of snowmobiles. <laughs> yeah, but that's part of the process. Yeah. Oh well, I learned how to fix them. So you know, like yeah. I'd usually spend all night fixing my sled to ride it the next day. Like what? there were times I'd throw a motor in for the next day to ride it. <laughs> Uh, what what are some of the worst wrecks you've had, like totaling sleds up there? Because because uh, it is gnarly terrain. Like you're up usually, in Sawtooth. Yeah, it's usually trees. It's usually you lose your ad, lose my edge on something, and go 50 feet down into a tree. You know, I was riding out with the pipe smash in half a couple times. It <laughs> <laughs> uh, happens. Mason, you've you've trashed some sleds. I'm, I'm I guessing the way you, the way you throw stuff around. Knock on wood, it's been a minute, but I've definitely uh, have totaled a few sleds. I've even totaled the same sled twice in the same year. Like, fixed it, first ride out, totaled it again, because I used to not have any discipline when I rode. I just had to try everything, and now I can tame, tame it back a little bit, be a little smarter. But it definitely, I mean, I think the rate of progression, like, you, you can't be afraid to total some stuff. It's tough because it is an expensive sport. It's expensive to fix, but, but you, you don't want to get stuck just being comfortable everywhere you go, so and sometimes the cost of, you know, kind of, being comfortable in an uncomfortable situation is going to cost you some A-arms or a smash pipe or, you know, your sled upside down in a creek or something. Yeah. So if you if you take just kind of like an average snowmobiler that, that can get out and they'll go around on the trails, they'll go ride the meadows and go cruise around, what, what skills should they go seek out and try to figure out? Like, wh what are some things that somebody could work on the first couple rides of this season? to kind of elevate their riding skill? Because riding style has changed over the years too. Like, like For sure. I think a, a big thing is getting a situation, whether it's, you know, side hilling or somewhere where you have to do a lot of throttle and brake control. You know, maybe it's just like going to trail through, through the bumps and you're trying to kind of jump them, but hit the throttle, have to grab the brake to set the sled. Like to just learn how that sled reacts, braking and throttling at the same time. Um, so I think once you then once you get into more advanced train and you're you know you are doing the counter steer and wrong foot forward, you you have to be using that throttle and brake all the time. Um, so my suggestion would be find a situation where you're having to apply both of those. Keep your finger on the brake, use them in sync with each other, um, and then just kind of start working into the train. Because um, if you have that down, I mean, I would say that's the two big things you're your mind's kind of got to control as you're going in, in any varying terrain. So talk about using the brake more because most, a lot of advanced riders are on the brake. It's probably not as much as the throttle, obviously, but they're on the brake a lot more than people would realize. Right. And for, sometimes at the same time because you can modulate the front of the sled. And right, for sure. I mean, a lot of times, like, 
if you have instead of chopping the throttle slow down because you chop the throttle like the motor shut starts shutting down it drops you know the front of the sled um but you lose momentum right all that inertia of the sled moving forward you start losing that um or a lot of times you can just start dragging the brake to accomplish the same thing you know create a little resistance in the track will set the front of a sled um, without having to let off or let off as much so you don't have to recover all that rotating mass again and stuff you know through the motor and the track everything lisa what are some or what are some of the techniques that you picked up over the last few years that have really helped you like like oh yeah i got that figured out now i can do this i think something that a lot of women especially women, I guess, don't really want to try as wrong foot forward. They're a little intimidated to be in that position and put the sled on a steeper angle, steeper, steeper hillside. And it's like, it's one of the most important skills to learn because it puts you in more control in any, any situation. You can be on the steepest hillside possible. And if you're in that position comfortable holding a counter steer, you can put your sled anywhere. So when you go out and you're doing a lot of instructing um, and, and you, have, you have a lot of rides in your area or you, you bring other women in and you're helping them out and... Um, do you see a lot of people that are still trying to throw the sled around? You, yeah, for you, sure, especially because a lot of men trying to teach their wives or girlfriends how to ride, they don't really know how to break it down into steps, and they're also bigger, they're usually stronger, they usually maybe haven't been to a clinic, so they don't understand all the steps, they've just figured it out along the way. So it's usually like, you know, use more throttle, throw your body to the side, and that doesn't really work, I and mean, counter-steering makes up for all that muscle for us. Yeah. If you counter-steer more, you don't have to use so much muscle. So what is, what is your step process if you're teaching somebody? What, how do you break that down? It depends. If it's a brand new person that's never been on a snowmobile, it's usually just getting them comfortable with the machine first, with the throttle, because usually they're scared of the throttle. And actually, one thing I do is I find a really big open hill. I'm like, you got to punch it. Put that throttle all the way to the bar and go as fast as you possibly can. It gets them over that fear. And then they aren't scared of that whole throttle range because they know exactly what the sled will do. So it's just a lot of times just about getting them comfort comfortable on the machine. You know, getting them in a place where there's no consequence, no trees, you know, where they can mess up as much as they want. Having people there to dig them out so they're not as tired all day. Counter steering is kind of the first skill I teach, I guess. Yeah. Um, so, and you get into more of the technical aspect. I know you've, like, torn engines down and all that. Do you encourage people to do that just to get familiar with the equipment and how it works? I do. I mean, I encourage people to at least, you know, know how to change a belt, know how to adjust their belt, their track tension do basic maintenance on it, change the chain case oil, things like that. I mean, the more you're understanding the machine, the more you understand what it's doing, you know if there's something wrong with it. I think the first day I went riding, my oil light came on because I didn't know. I was like, I don't really know how two-stroke works. It's like, well, what do I need to do now? I don't know where to put the oil. Right. I don't know where the, like, I didn't understand. And it was so frustrating to me because I was once again riding by myself that I, yeah, I went and tore my sled down just for the fun of it. And then I started building 860 big bores before the A50s came out, just because I wanted to. <laughs> uh, I tell people it just had a awesome. can. Like, no, it's not modded. It's just a can. I go out climb them. I feel like that's really good advice, though, even for guys, you know. I mean, sometimes people go out and they've never, they don't know how to adjust a track or change a belt. And I mean, I've got neighbors, you know, hey, how do I adjust my belt tension, you know, on the older sleds? And that's, I think that's great advice because you are out in the backwoods. If something happens, you don't know how to... You need to have out. a basic knowledge yeah. of kind of yeah. how things work, at least. Yeah. For Even sure. just belt adjustment makes a huge for sure. difference right. in how the sled runs. For sure. So, good advice. So, wh when you get a brand new sled, I know you guys are both Skidoo ambassadors, what steps do you go through on that, that sled before you go out and ride it? Like, are you just picking it up from a dealer and, and hopping on it? 
or do you have your own little regimen of the like um, setting up the clutch and changing? For the me, things? generally, I mean the newer sleds are so set up out of the box, you don't need to do a lot. The main thing for me is getting the risers low enough. I'll put the lowest risers on just so it's lower for me, and adjust the suspension. Most people just ride it out of the box, and it's usually set up for a large guy. So adjusting the suspension before you even get on it is usually key for me. Are you changing shock springs or just just back? Just the tension. Low? I usually um, stiffen up the front track shocks. Has a little bit more weight transfer to the back. Makes it a little bit easier, um, especially on the expert. I find having that front track shock a little stiffer helps. And I usually soften up the front shocks to like one or two. I like them pretty soft. Um, rears, I usually put like two or three on the springs. Usually works really good for me. Are you doing an expert again for 24? I actually switched it up. I got an X this year. Did you really? Just for fun, yeah. So what, what took you that direction? Uh, I don't know. I guess a lot of the guys, like Tony, a lot of the guys at CKMB ride the X's. Uh, and they're riding every day, you know, so they're putting a lot of energy in. And being a guide, it's like I'm out there all the time every day. And, yeah, I just want to try a different sled. Uh, what, do you, what do you think of the free ride? I want to try it, too, yeah. I've got a couple of friends that ordered it, so I'm excited to ride it. Excited to see how that track works. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Mason, you're a free ride guy. I'm a free ride guy. I, it's, I think they've done a good job at, like, there's kind of something for everyone. You know, the, like Lisa was saying, the X is probably the most, like, you're going to burn the least amount of energy riding that sled, you know, in the course of a day. Um, as you get maybe more aggressive or a little heavier set, you start working into that, maybe that expert if you want something a little more planted. And then the free ride again, just being quite a bit stiffer and rigid chassis in the suspension. Um, you know, if you're hitting into things harder, um, you just start demanding some of those things because of, of a rider's, I don't want to say ability, but just how aggressive they are on something, you know. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm a free ride guy. Um, mostly just I like a really rigid platform, um, a little bit stiffer. Um, just holds to the mountain really well. You know, you can kind of just trust what it's going to do. Um, I don't worry too much about conserving energy in the sense like I'm not like I'm not doing what Lisa does. I'm not guiding people and having to kind of serve them and help them. You know, kind of thing. Um, I'm just trying to go out and get my buddies stuck and have a good time you know and, and then and I do can, circles around them yeah and then just <laughs> play around while they're you know that's suffering pretty, that's pretty much what the, yeah. the other group yeah. the other group that rides with yeah, you you got said, four like, friends that threw you under the bus <laughs> a few times so. yeah like yeah mason just takes us out there and just takes us up the worst little ravine and then sits we, at the top and watches yeah they think i don't take care of them like obviously they're all here and they come back so it it can't be that bad but like, yeah, no big deal if they got to spend a few hours pulling it yeah, into yeah. the water. Right. Yeah, getting out of the water. Like, sometimes you got to learn by not doing it right, you know? <laughs> and you're there to film them while they're doing it, right? Right, exactly, so. yeah. I'm always quick to get my phone out for sure when someone else is stuck. Mm. And you, you know who, like, 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 if you see a couple guys coming up, you're like, ah, I'm not going to film them. Yeah. There's always somebody in the group you're like, oh, no matter what he's doing, for sure. the yeah. camera's on him. Yep, yep. definitely. Oh, uh, yeah. So, Lisa, who do you ride with most of the time now? Like, you've got a couple... Yeah, I have a pretty solid crew in Stanley. I mean, I think the terrain there just demands that you're a little bit more of a capable rider. Mm -hmm. And the guys that I ride with there are pretty intense, like backcountry terrain, like just really technical, steep, thick trees. We have a lot of thick trees there. So it's good for me. You know, they're all better than me. So they push me. That's what I prefer. I prefer to have people that are all way better than me in my crew. If I'm the worst rider in the crew, it's going to be a good day for me. Oh, yeah. Um, where are you going to do your... Uh, your clinics this 
So I'll have a couple in Utah, I'll have a couple in Colorado, and then a couple around Jackson Hole and Alpine area. Okay. So. And then from there, it's hopefully going to expand yeah. the yep. next season. Yeah, and I'll probably have one at Smiley Creek Lodge in Stanley too. So. Okay, just just one, or do you do that a couple times? Uh, it just depends on my timing and their timing. If they book more, then I'll fill more, yeah. All right. So when you go out with Uncharted, are they providing the sleds? Uh, are they the do have rentals. Rent? So the outfitters have rentals. So you can bring your own sled if you want. If you don't, we have new Skidoo sleds to run. So. All yeah. right. All right. That's cool. Bruce, what's your favorite Skidoo for the year? What are you going to be on? You know, I did like that free ride that we got to test ride last year. You know, I've never been a Skidoo fan until the Gen 5 come out. It's pretty sweet chassis. I've heard that a lot. Yeah. I've always liked the Expert, you know. I Like, if the free ride wouldn't have come out, I'd probably go Expert. But it'd be a big toss-up between them two. So, and they just, like I've, I've said this on other podcasts, they're out of the box. You mentioned that. Their clutches are usually dialed. At, like, they, they run. So. What do you like for lug heights? Like, uh, there's there's been a surprising amount of people that are running two and a half inch lugs over the three inch. I'm a I'm a two and a half inch person. Um, yeah, and you got to explain that because a couple of your buddies are the same way. Yeah, I. For me, the three inch trenches a little more. You know, it definitely moves more snow, um, but it it wants to dig down. I feel like with the two and a half, and carry a lot more track speed, kind of stay up on the snow. Um, just a little less snow being recirculated through the tunnel. Um, especially with the 15 inch, because um, it's kind of a cool thing with the Skidoo now, because we have a, a wider tunnel um, with a on the free ride with a narrower track, so there's a little extra room for snow to escape. And in heavier snow conditions, you can feel that a little less drag going through there. If that makes sense. Like like it's kind of hard to explain, but if you ever see like a snowmobile wheelie and you see all that snow just being shot out of the front of the tunnel, like that's drag in there, right? Um, so now with that, you know, extra inch in there, basically, it gets rid of it along the sides a little bit more. Um, and, and I feel like you can feel that, especially in heavier snows. Um, and then the two and a half, I think it just, just moves through the snow a little bit easier. Um, if I was riding somewhere where I was riding constantly deep, fresh snow, you know, maybe like a traditional, like Revelstoke snowpack or something, you know, the three inch probably would suit me a little bit better. Um, but where I'm at in kind of southeastern Idaho, western Wyoming, um, we have a good base, pretty, a lot of traction in our snow, so I don't really need more paddle for the traction. Do you see, do you see a downside to a two and a half though? Ever, um, or is it just all upside? No, I mean like braking, I'll see it in braking in certain types of snow. Again, once it's, even though we're getting rid of some snow and it moves easier, but there's just not enough paddle to grab, you know? Um, and granted, not a huge issue on a, on a real deep day, you know, you, you let off or something, the, the sleds slowed themselves down quite a bit, but definitely takes a little longer to slow them down. I'm a lot harder on my brakes, like on a two and a half, I'll go through pads or get a rotor hotter than I will on a, on a three inch paddled sled. So why is that? Just, just because I, there's not as much Yeah, because I'm having to brake harder, you know, or maybe more frequent than I do on a three inch. Yeah. So just a little less, a three inch maybe slows you down without the braking more than the two and a half. What do you run, Lisa? Three inch. Why do you, so? I mean, we all want to ride deep powder all the time, right? You know, I'm always chasing snow. But yeah, in the spring, I'd kind of prefer a two and a half if I would have the choice. Um, you know, when it's heavier set up, I'd probably like two and a half. But Stanley's so dry. The snow's so dry all year. I really like the three inch. So, and it's, you don't get a lot of moisture there, but you get a ton of snow and it's really cold, right? Yeah. What, what's, what do you typically ride in? Is it? Well, our low last year was negative 54, but I didn't go outside that day. <laughs> so riding 
For myself, I'm generally cutting it off at like negative 20. I'll kind of give it a couple hours, see if it'll warm up to negative 20. If I'm guiding and people are showing up, I'll take them out at negative 30. Wow. It's difficult to stay warm, but it's difficult. difficult to so do a lot of things. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know, we get a couple of miles down the trail, we stop and spill the fire half the time, but. We rode a negative two years ago at West Yellowstone for two cool. days, and I'm like, this is stupid Yeah, 20 below. to do that every day. The morning know. was 30 below. We couldn't get the furnace and the heater to fire yeah. it up. Like, it just nothing would I work. I think I'd move if I was you. It no. takes, takes a minute to get the sled to pull over when it's that cold. Yeah, I'll sure. bet. That's crazy. Yeah, you could move to get away from the, the temperatures, but nobody's there, right? <laughs> yeah, you that's You've got the whole true. mountain to yourself. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, we do have hot springs. You know, I can ride my son to the hot springs if it's really cold. So. Yeah, but you still got to get out of the hot springs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. the end of that process. The getting out of that is... <laughs> yeah. I mean, half the time I get out and jump in the river, I like cold plunges. Uh, oh, my gosh. Yeah. I think I cut that off at, like, negative 10 to get in the river, but... That's wild. You're, you're, you're tougher than me. I'm, like I'm, yeah, I'm yeah, a warm I, person. I wouldn't even do that if it was 75 degrees outside. <laughs> I don't get in a cold shower. <laughs> yeah. I do that every day, too. I don't, I don't get in the lake till August. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. So, Lisa, you're a logger. Yeah. So when people think logger, because we were kind of talking about this last night, you think chainsaw. And, and, uh, and I, what's funny is I actually seen a uh, on Instagram, this guy says, look up what a chainsaw was made for from the first. And so I looked that up and it was to, uh, it's kind of gross, but to help cut pelvises from women that was struggled to have babies. That's what the chainsaw was invented for. I've seen that up today, I don't know why. But anyway. You watch too much TikTok. I do watch too much TikTok. Anyway, so you're not a chainsaw guru out there sawing logs, what do you do? Not really, no. So. The timber in Stanley is pretty small. It's all lodgepole, so it's all mechanized. I have a machine, and my chainsaw is a button, you know, so I push a button, and I have a chainsaw. So, mm. Yeah, it's, I have a machine that has a, it's a big head on it, and so I can grab the trees, cut it, tip it over, and cut all the limbs off, peel all the bark off, oh, cut it to whatever cool. length I want. I have a computer that tells me the length, the diameter, That's and everything. Cool. And then I set it there, and then I put it on a truck, and... So then you stack it or you put just reload it right on a so truck? So I, I go out and, like, I'm cutting a whole forest down, so I go out and cut bunches that are, like, you know, 15 trees. Then go back and kind of gather. Yeah, and they're all, like, limbed and cut to length. And then uh, there's a we have a skitter there with a grapple, and you grab it, take it into the landing. It's put in a big deck. Truck comes in, load the truck, takes That's off. That's cool. That's cool. I've yeah. seen that machine. Them are pretty fun to watch. Yeah. So... We should get into that, Bruce. I should get into that. You could do potatoes, grain, and yeah, lots. Yeah. Yeah. Lots. yeah. <laughs> I don't know. If you got a warm <laughs> hut, I can work in. <laughs> it's a little too chilly over there yeah. for us. Yeah. City boys. So have you always done that then? I mean, is that what uh, you were raised in? No, I was raised on a ranch. I actually grew up training horses. Oh, okay. So I spent a lot of time on bucking horses and running cattle and kind of always. Out in Stanley. So you grew up there, right? I grew up a couple hours south of Stanley. Okay. Yeah. And then I kind of cowboyed all over, like Nevada, New Mexico for a while. So you've done it all. Yeah, <laughs> I've moved around a lot. That's cool. So, Mason, you racing again this year? Yep, racing the full Rimshaw schedule. Pretty excited, pretty pretty fired up. I think as a, as a Skidoo team this year, we're uh, yeah going to be on the gas and hoping to have a pretty successful season. So, so talk about that, that hill climb edition. Uh, it's a naturally aspirated yep. 850. But it has different suspension, different it, shocks. Yeah, pretty trick suspension, really. They uh, they've kind of teamed up with uh, Enzo Canada, um, Tim up there, and they have an in integral base valve. Um, so just a lot of adjustability gives us a lot of options to really dial in um, a fill that you know each racer is looking for. 
Um, yeah, totally different rear skid. Uh, gain a little bit more travel in it than like your traditional summits or free rides. Um, but yet, a little more planted. You know, a lot of the sleds are, I mean, they're built to go uphill, but people are liking to do wheelies and the hopovers and stuff. So things are starting to over transfer a little more and, and we don't want that in the hill climbs. We want to keep our as much track on the ground as possible. Um, and uh, so yeah, the sledge is, is built to, to climb a mountain, go through rocks, logs, really icy, you know, icy situations and stuff, so. And they have to, what's the homologation rule? How many units do they have to build? I, I'm not sure what, the, what that number is, but they do, for us to be eligible to race it in a stock class, there is a certain number of units that have to be available. Um, so it's just pretty cool that, that Skidoo's interested enough in providing this that whatever this number of units is um, kind of got allocated throughout out the west to different dealerships, you know, and some dealers, you know, got five or six, some got eight or nine, whatever. Um, so, yeah, a lot of guys can go out and buy this sled. Um, I would say the guys buying it, like, expect it to be like your free ride, just even a little more rigid, a little more stiffer yet, you know. Um, probably can not be your meadow bashing sled, you know, but if you ride a lot of big whooped out trails, it, it's going to be a lot of fun going down, you know, high speed whoop trails. Um, or if you're a real big air guy or something in the mountains, I think you'd be just fine with it. The 36 inch front end? Yep, 36 inch front end. Yeah, so that'll be, that'll yeah. be interesting to see because you can run that in uh, 9,000 and open, right? Yeah, so we'll race it in, um, so it's just the 850, right? So we'll race it in our 900 stock, 1,000 stock. Um, I'm sure there'll be guys some building some improvers out of them or something. Um, and then our, we'll have some some mods for 9 and open mod that'll be based off of that, but obviously with the 850 turbo. Um, but they'll start out with that chassis, basically. So what else, you, so what's your favorite hill on the course? Like, did you like Bear Lake this year or was that uh, a meadow race? Not, not a meadow, I mean, yeah. it's a hill, but it's, it's nothing like It's Jackson. interesting, but yeah, it's nothing like, like, it's easy to say Jackson's our favorite hill, right? Because it's got it all. It's got the high speed in the bottom and then just gnarly trenches up top. Um, it just depends on our snow, you know, like, like Afton's always a good one. Um, just kind of being a technical rider, I like it traditionally when it gets icier and rougher, you know, deeper trenches. Um, problem with Afton is it's short, you know, we're usually r racing for 35 to 40 seconds. Um, I would like to be around that minute mark, you know, a longer run. Um, so it's just different. Like Bear Lake this year, it's traditionally not really our favorite hill, um, but we had an incredible winter, so we were able to get some trenches and stuff kind of forming in it. Yeah. Um, and we have longer runs at Bear Lake, so. Racing, anyone that races know you don't get a lot of seat time, so a longer run is a hill that I like, you know, and as long as we can have some jumps and some technical in there, you know. Yeah, that's the tough part about hill climbing is it's, it's an entire weekend for five minutes of riding. Yeah, it's it can be tough sometimes, but but it's once you kind of like you're kind of invested into it and start watching the clock, like it gets pretty exciting because I mean, for those that don't know, we're we're it's like downhill mountain biking, but we're just going uphill. We're going through gates, and it comes down to hundreds and thousands of a second sometime. Um, so even though we're only getting, let's say, 60 seconds on the mountain, once you start factoring in the intensity of, like, just a blip of the throttle or not getting back into it quick enough is the difference of, you know, a win or fifth or sixth place. You know, we'll have, there's sometimes in, like, that nine stock class from first to, like, tenth place is a difference of about a second or second and a half, you know, which is, which is 
pretty wild, I think. So yeah. you moved back Midwest and did a, a year on the snowcross circuit, didn't you? Do you, do you miss that? Uh, I miss the like intensity of racing side by side with people. That's a lot of fun. Um, but the travel from going from west back to the mid back to Minnesota and stuff was it was just too much, you know, for for what I was willing to commit to it. But but again, snowcross is its own whole nother animal. It's those guys are pretty pretty gnarly on a snowmobile. Um, it'd be fun to do a little more of it if we had something a little closer to home, you know, um, just for that that bar to bar racing and the race craft of, you know, guys move outside to you know set them up and things like that. Because we don't really get that in hill climb like. You know, we get to kind of look at the hill and pick lines and stuff, but we don't have like a racecraft with other people, you know. Um, a little bit I, of strategy into that. Yeah, and I, so I miss that aspect of it, you know. It'd be cool to step like four sleds up a mountain. That once. would be cool. Yes, sign me up. I think that'd be fun. Or even two. You still have to hit the gates. Yeah. yeah, just get the whole shot and roost on all of them and go. <laughs> that'd be awesome. Any desire to go start hill climbing there, Lisa? Oh, not really. I thought about it several years ago, but. I don't know. It, you know, it's a pretty big time commitment, so never really got into it. I have spent a lot of time at hill climbs, but well, and I'm, Stanley's not really like close to anything either. We had a rimshot race uh, an hour from us, but it got—I think it was one season, maybe. But the snow there is just kind of low that time of year, so it was kind of hard to continue having it there. Yeah. Well, that's tough. Like our first race of the season, we we I mean we used to start in way back we start in december and then early january right. we're pretty much starting in february yeah i mean like this year coming will be end of january and then it's more or less every other weekend up till jackson hole the end of march um and then we move kind of transition to a lot of ski hills um you know their skis and ski seasons are done so we kind of move in and then it's just back-to-back weekends usually for three or four in a row so it gets kind of drug out but i i would love to see an early season you know before for the holidays, for Christmas race or something, but it gets tough to do. Yeah, you just can't count on the snow, right? Then, you, then you've got a lot of commitment into planning and right, yeah, you know, the whole race right. circuit there. And, oh, and then just like, you know, being racers doesn't mean we always get our sleds before everyone else. You know, sometimes we don't get them till you know that early mid December or something. Um, and there's a lot of work. You know, it's a lot easier just to get my mountain sled ready for the year than a race sled. I I got to put some serious time in with them. So it's nice to have a good month and a half or so after we get them to to get them prepped. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, we'll let you guys go here. Uh, uh, Mason Rutledge, Lisa Grandin, it's been great having you on. Yeah, thank you. Uh, thank good you. info. Where can people go to learn more about your clinics? So I'll be posting them on my Instagram page, which is just lisa.grandin, and then Uncharted Society will have them listed also, and then they can go to the different outfitters and see where they're at and okay. when the schedule is. All right, yep. Yeah, uh, follow Lisa and Mason on uh, Instagram. Check out the, all the stuff that they do during the season. Uh, good follows, a lot of good content. And Bruce. And Bruce. He's, he's, he's a good one, too. Farmer, <laughs> farmer sled nut. Yeah, we yeah. see some farming action on yeah. there. Uh-huh. you got the case tractors and the, the Arctic cats. Yeah. Yep. You'll see some Catalyst stuff on there pretty yep. soon. <laughs> All right. Uh, thanks for coming on, guys. Well, thanks, thanks Ryan.